Hey, everyone. Happy New Year. We're so glad that you decided to join us today. This is Ryan Suzuki back hosting again. But don't worry, that doesn't mean AJ's gone. AJ actually opened up our new series, Let's Go, with our first message, Let's Go to Church, talking about the value and the necessity for Christian community uh, that we gather together as believers to worship God and to learn and grow together. So AJ did a terrific job this weekend. So without any further ado, let's go deeper. Okay, AJ, thanks for joining us today. Happy New Year. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Um, man, it's been a blast. 2023 has been awesome. Um, I've been able to preach January 1st of 2023 and December 31st of 2023. Uh, that's so. very good. You, got, you <laughs> kicked us off and yeah. you closed us out. That's the, amazing. The bookend of 2023 and I'm excited for what 2024 has in store. All I can really say is... Let's go. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> I loved how you started that out for us. Just that encouragement. And uh, even in your life, like the sports analogy and all those different things, like I think all of us can have, we have those moments in life when someone comes around us and says, let's go. And so our hope for you, our listeners, is that you would that you would come along with us, that you would go, that you would follow where God has, uh, his, has for you and walk down this path of faith. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about church. Let's talk about going to church. You brought us into the book of Hebrews, and one of these like kind of core passages, when we think about going to church, we think about gathering with God's people, we go to Hebrews. It's one of these core things. So can you tell us a little bit, Hebrews is a big book, it's an important book, um, and, but can you tell us a little bit about the context of Hebrews? What, why was it written? Who wrote it? Tell us a bit, little bit about it. Yeah, let's start with the authorship of Hebrews, because I know that's one of the most contentious debates in scholarship a lot of people have been trying to pinpoint because it doesn't tell us who wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, a lot of people want to point it to, to Paul, formerly known as Saul, um, because of his Jewish background. Uh, he had a lot of, he would have had a lot of knowledge in these kind of areas. It's very <laughs> Jewish, like the whole thing is, is Jewish, and we'll get more into that into the book later. But um, the interesting thing about that suggestion that Paul wrote this is it's just not similar to what his other epistles look like. You know, his his epistles usually open up with a greeting, some sort of title that Paul like says, hey, apostle of Jesus Christ. And it usually ends with uh, uh, another set of greetings to a whole bunch of lists of names. If you've read your Bibles, the New Testament for any amount of time, you know what I'm talking about. It's the the thing we usually skip over. Uh, this one doesn't have that. It's very absent. And so people have suggested, hey, this one doesn't look like the others. Uh, and so some have suggested that this is actually a sermon that mm. Paul preached. Mm. Um, you can kind of see a flow to it um, that is may or may not be there. Um, we don't have the bo- this book in a speech format, so we have it in a written format. We can't really figure that out except for a couple clues. Um, some have suggested other people. Um, so Barnabas has been suggested, one of Paul's associates. Apollos, who we meet in the book of Acts, who is a, a great teacher. Um, and then even uh, Priscilla. So that's a very fascinating theory. Um, could one of Paul's disciples who is mentioned, uh, who's mentioned as teaching Apollos some doctrine, could she have written this book? Mm. 
And then um, another one is Clement of Rome, who becomes a disciple of one of the early apostles in in the first century. And so, um, man, a lot of people have spilled a lot of ink and a lot of paper trying to figure out this authorship. Um, Does it really matter, though? And I think the answer is both yes and no. And so, no, I don't think it matters too much because... Um, just the content of the writing. It's just so rich with Old Testament imagery that you can cross-check it if you want. It's not like somebody else is making stuff up. It's they're, they're deeply entrenched in the Old Testament. And so you're seeing them elaborate and exegete the text and point to a better reality, the, the, the reality with Jesus here. I, I think why it might matter is, you know, going back to a message that I preached in Explore God is a lot of people will say, well, uh, who knows where these books of the Bible come from? And what what's so good about these suggestions is that they're either one of the apostles or they're closely associated with the apostles. And so that was kind of the standard for the early church of accepting a New Testament book in canon. Um, so the book of Hebrews gets accepted because it has this close association with the apostles. And so, like I've been saying, it's been such a, an amazing book. Uh, I told Danny that he's got to stop giving me passages that start with therefore. Yeah. <laughs> because when it, whenever there's a therefore, as you're, uh, one of your seminary professors yes. suggested, what is the therefore, therefore? There it is. <laughs> Meaning, like, what is that word therefore actually explaining to yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. And so it... it, it challenges you to go back and look at the whole structure of the text. And that's exactly what it does. Luckily, we've been given a summary, in which I brought out in verses 19 to 21. But um, yeah, just looking at the book in general, um, it's arguing right from the get-go that Jesus is the better one. Jesus is the one. Uh, we're not talking about messengers or prophets. We're talking about Jesus, the Son of God. Right. And so chapter 1 is going to be all about the magnificence of Jesus. He's higher than the angels. He's all of those things. Um, It's going to go into um, an argument that because Jesus is the better one, we now have a better high priest. And so, um, you know, I'll just flip there right now, but Hebrews 1 kind of gives this passage that if you look at it, it will explain sort of the argument it's making. So, I'll read it. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so right there, there's the Jesus is better. And then he goes into this this description. Sorry, he or she. I'm not sure who the author is. uh, Whom he appointed heir of all things. And so if you follow what the argument is, you'll see that, yeah, he's going to talk about how he's the heir of all things. Um, Jesus has been appointed over all things. The next word out of Hebrews 1, it says, through whom also he made the universe. He's the agent of creation. Everything, uh, he's made everything and for whom, through whom all things belong. Everything exists. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. You'll see that argument, the radiance of God's glory. You're talking about Moses and other things. The exact representation of his being, what it means for Jesus to be God in the flesh. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. What God says in the flesh sticks. Uh, providing purification for sins, something that's very relevant to our message, the body and blood, the sacrifice. And then finally, sitting down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. And so right from the start, you have, oddly enough, seven things 
Yeah. Such a powerful number yes. in the Hebrew language. Seven things that the author is going to talk about, which leads us then to chapter 10. And that's where the therefore is therefore, the yes. conclusion. And then, um, you know, chapters 11 to 13 talk about um, some of the concepts we're going to wrestle with here. How do we live together? How do we live in light of the cloud of witnesses that comes in Hebrews 11? We have this great temple that we've been built into together. And so we have a cloud of witnesses. Uh, 12 and 13 are going to talk about, you know, keeping our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. And um, 13 is going to close out with more recommendations of of how to live together. So. I, I think I love what you're kind of sharing with us around, um, you know, you again, you opened up your sermon talking about the let's go is an invitation or a challenge to something better. And Hebrews is all about that, that Jesus mm-hmm. is better. And yep. the invitation for us to kind of follow him, to walk with him and to live in that life, uh, like a kingdom life, a life that's renewed, a life of sanctification, of transformation, and that's where we're being invited alongside these uh, our fellow believers throughout time and memoriam uh, to experience the life of the kingdom. And so I was just thinking about our text today and how you were you walked us through it. Like, how did that help you wrestle with this concept of community? I mean, we talked about church as a gathering. That's what the word actually means. Um, so for you, your one of your pri- your primary role is. Your, your title is Pastor of Life Groups and Discipleship to help people grow in these places. How did this text help you wrestle with that idea? Yeah, this text has meant everything to me. Um, you look for a lot of texts that like challenge people to get into community. And oddly enough, at face value, you don't find too much. Right. Except for Hebrews 10 verses 19 to 25. And that's why this passage has meant a lot to my role here. And it's really challenged my whole journey of being on staff here for the last five years. And, uh, you know, one of the best ways I think about this is through a, a little test that I did one time while I was teaching Legacy. Yeah. And so I, I kind of want to run it through the podcast because it got left on the cutting room floor. Yeah, sure. So if you've gone to Legacy, you don't count in this test yeah, yeah. because you already know what I'm going to do. But um, I'll test you too, Ryan, if okay, you want to participate. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, if you're driving or doing anything, don't close your eyes. But all I want you to do is imagine what the next life is going to look like. You know, we're not citizens of this earth. We're citizens of heaven. So in your mind, I want you to paint a picture of what that looks like. Now, Ryan, I'll ask you. Yeah. Was I there? You weren't there, AJ. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Because for the most part, when you do this, yeah, you're sitting next to people that are probably going to be there with yeah. you. Yes. And it's so fascinating to me because, you know, you look at the end of Revelation, the beginning, or sorry, you look at the end of Revelation right. and you see that what we're headed toward is a city. It's a city of people. And yet there's been something in our culture, and I'll try to guess what your image yeah. was here, that like has us in some like log cabin or like right. paradise beach where we're just kind of like by ourselves, maybe with our family right. and we're, we're on our own. And it kind of opened my eyes to think like, wow, like maybe there's something we're missing. Right. Like what, what are we missing that the mm-hmm. author that has been so entrenched in the Hebrew Bible is suggesting that it is on par with the forgiveness of our sins right. and holding unswervingly to our faith. Like, what, is, what are we missing? And this one passage, elevating it to that stance, has sent me on a rabbit trail all the way back to the beginning 
and even looking at Adam and Eve. There's been so many paintings in my mind that I've pictured where Adam and Eve are by themselves. And that's the depiction of Eden. When ultimately that wasn't what God pictured. Right. It pictured as the start, but it, it's right there. Be fruitful and multiply. Like we don't understand what multiplication out of that Garden of Eden looks like. But I can imagine God, God set up the whole thing to not just have Adam and Eve as the, high, the priests, but to have a kingdom yeah. of priests. And that's the language we get. And what I started to find, starting with that, be fruitful and multiply, what I started to realize was like, man, when sin entered the world, everything resisted against multiplication, whether it was childbearing, whether it was um, you know, relationships between one another, everything about the multiplication of the community, that's where Satan attacked. Yeah. And so you, you follow that thread, you see um, in Genesis where the community starts to unravel, it starts spreading evil, starts rebelling en masse. And yet, you know, you find that um, when sin enters the world, God s- attempts to s- reset his community. And, and, you know, for the longest time I thought, well, the law is there to show me my sin but I started just rethinking it. Like, could the law just be there to govern a community? Yeah. Like, the very simple thing what a law is there to do, it's like to govern people. God was establishing a, a people, not just an individual, yeah. uh, a people. Think about the temple we talked about a little bit on Sunday, like the temple gathering. Think about all these different things, and, and you end up with a new, fresh vision of what the authors were seeing that kind of get assumed in the yeah. scriptures. That yeah. it, it's very in the New Testament, like Jesus only uses the word for church, ecclesia, twice. And it's like, I don't think he had to say it because if you're entrenched in this narrative of developing this kingdom community, you'll see it. And you'll see it right when he says, this is the the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah. It's not the gospel of, hey, I, I'm... I've come to forgive you. It's it's like the whole package wrapped yeah. in one. And that's like the key thing I've been wrestling with is like, what does it mean for us to, to approach all of this together? And then you get to Paul's letters where he talks about you and you, and none of them are like singular you. All of them are like y'all, yes. like together. And it's just so interesting to see the elevation of community from just this one passage where it says, let us not give up meeting together. Yeah. Like, why does he care so much? Yes. Our, I mean, our brother and sister uh, believers in the, from the South, y'all is a very important and helpful word. It's a, it's a that huge we, word. Yeah, it's a huge <laughs> word. I find myself using it a lot because, as you're saying, when we're thinking about discipleship, community, life groups, we're trying to help uh, create a culture and a people that are a people. And right. I think we talked about this a little bit. Uh, you talked about it on Sunday, and we've talked a little bit about it around the office. But just being reminded that all this stuff's supposed to happen together. It's not kind of a parallel play where we're sitting alongside each other doing this thing with the Lord. We're arm in arm, hand in hand. We're walking together in faithfulness to with with God and with others. And it's this thing that's a corporate thing. I love your like example. It's like, I do imagine people in heaven, and there's all these people, but it's kind of like, I'm hanging out in heaven with everyone else instead right. of, I am truly in this kind of kingdom community. It's one of those things for our audience. It's just... Uh, for a lot of our audience kind of growing up in the West and things like that, that can just be a, it's a harder thing because it's not a value of our culture and something that clearly is valuable to God and yeah. to his people. And if I can add just yeah. one thing, like for the longest time when I was thinking about community, I, I mean, I obviously see that Jesus commands us to do these things. Yes. And I see that Paul says to do these things as well. 
I know a lot of the latter half of his books end up, you know, talking about how we should act, but without like the solid reasoning, it just sounds like somebody's pulling a power play on us. Like you need to do this. But the one thing that I've learned from just studying the Bible is that these guys aren't pulling a rabbit out of a hat, you know, out of thin air. They have very solid reasoning. If we would just take the time to look at it and, you know, being in this community position has sort of forced me to dig for those deep-rooted reasons yes. as to why people should do this. Because I think there is a really convincing reason as to why, which gets illuminated in this Hebrews 10 passage. Yeah. Well, thinking about continuing this idea of Hebrews, um, Hebrews focuses a lot on—it takes us back to the temple, and specifically it talks a lot about uh, the body and blood sacrifice, the high priest. And of course, even as we're saying body, blood, um, things like that, you're thinking— a lot of our listeners, maybe you might be thinking about Jesus, about his sacrifice. So can you help our our listeners, our audience out there, help them understand like what's going on here? Because there's a lot of Hebrews. I mean, even the name of the book, the, book, <laughs> the epistle to the Hebrews, it's like assuming a lot of Old Testament Jewish knowledge. And maybe some of our listeners that on Sunday or they're listening right now, it's like, okay, I need a little bit more there. I did not grow up in a, in a yeah. Jewish temple system. <laughs> So the hard thing is, neither did I. (laughs) So yeah, acknowledging that it is a foreign thing. Um, You know, we could try our best to study the meaning of the animals and study that stuff. But, you know, if you're not living in that time, it it becomes very hard. And there's been a lot of, again, ink spilled over this very topic. Uh, But just, I think, just trying to keep it as basic as we can, uh, because I feel like this author was pumped on Leviticus. And so... Traveling back to Leviticus, we have, first, we'll go with the high priest, because that's sort of the first argument that he makes, is that Jesus is eligible to be our high priest, because he's able to represent, and that was what the high priest did. He um, was sort of the the chief of the priests, and his special role was on the Day of Atonement. He was the one that once per year got to enter into the most holy place after a ritual that would take place on the, the Day of Atonement. And that was the advantage of being the high priest uh, through the line of Aaron. Um, you know, we get into the line of Melchizedek in Hebrews, but I love how the author warns, like, this is where we go from yes. milk to meat, is understanding Melchizedek. That's the context. Um, so it, it gets a little fun. But um, I think what I was hoping to draw out is that Jesus is the the high priest who's able to represent all of us, yeah. because one, all things belong to him, going back to the heir of all things. And two, he's the agent of creation. He's the one who created us. Mm. And therefore, he understands everything about us, probably more than we even know of ourselves. Mm. And so he is able to take all those things, and he is the one who is able to be the representative of us. And finally, he's the radiance of God's glory. He's the, the one who advocates on our behalf This is language that gets thrown back to Moses when he begins to advocate on behalf of the Israelites as they're falling into sin. Um, And so we have this figure who is seemingly at this point larger than life. Like who out there is going to be the heir of everything, the agent of creation, except for God himself. And then we learn the big crux in Hebrews is that this God, the word, was made flesh. Like he took flesh upon himself. The phrase goes like this, what he assumed... He was able to redeem, 
meaning he took on flesh so that he could sympathize with our situation. He could, he lived in our situation so that he could redeem it all. So starting from the birth all the way to the death, he was able to assume humanity so that he could redeem it all. And in that we have the high priest. And then because we have this high priest, it's kind of this interesting thing where the high priest in the Old Testament would go in and make the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. But here we have an image of a high priest who also becomes the sacrifice. So whatever that means, I don't know, but like that is such a fascinating (laughs) twist on the story that this high priest becomes the sacrifice himself. And so you look at the the body and blood analogy, and this is where the author of Hebrews goes later on, um, talking about, okay, what does this sacrifice actually look like? This sacrifice is of somebody who had the exact representation of God himself. So he's perfect. That's essentially what he's saying. He's, he is perfect. He is blameless. He is holy. He is pure. And not only that, what the sacrifice says goes. He has the sustaining power of his word. And then finally, adding these two, these, this is what makes the purification of sins, that he was pure. He was blameless. And so what they would do in the Old Testament, they would, they would slaughter an animal, um, showing you the consequences of sin. Like sin... The wages of sin is death. And so there was something that needed to be paid. And so we see that in the life of Christ. He, he took the death that we deserve. And yet what, what strikes me is that the story doesn't end there because then after the death happens, the, the priest takes the blood and starts sprinkling it all over these different things. Mm-hmm. And it's a really mysterious thing. Like why, why get all messy and all that? But in Leviticus, it talks about there being life in the blood, like the lifeblood of, of the living animal. And, and we can kind of see that, we sense that when like we see blood, it's, it's like, man, a life has been spilled here. There's something about yeah. blood that's unique. And what we see is that this particular sacrifice's blood is eternally spotless. It's, it's eternally pure. It's the purest of the pure, I guess we could, we could say. It's, it's the blood of God in the flesh. And so how much more is that eternally spotless blood sprinkled on us going to give us this life more so than the gloats or the blood of goats and bulls and calves or yeah. whatever animal. And so here we have it. We have this high priest language, we have this sacrifice language. It's hard to wrap your mind around, but I tell you like it it just elevates again yeah. Jesus being the better sacrifice, being the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. It keeps on saying in Hebrews once and for all. And there's nobody else that could fulfill that role unless that person was eternally perfect. And so yep. it almost had to be God himself. I know, this, that amazing thing where Jesus is the kind of new and better is kind of one of those things that keeps coming up in, in Hebrews. And it's, and it's so funny. It's, kind of, it's almost comical how much better and how much <laughs> yeah. more complete he is. He's both, like we're saying here, he's both the priest and the sacrifice. He's both right. those things in one, and he's better than any other thing. I was just thinking, too, I know it's the new year. We all making commitments and things like that. But, hey, it's t- <laughs> today is it's January 1st. So today you can start. I was thinking about the Old Testament. Maybe you're, maybe you're kind of baffled by it and something like that. But here's the thing, like, AJ and I, you know, we're all our staff, anyone who's on our stage, we love— we love the scriptures. Right. We have fallen in love with God's word to us. And many of us have gone to school and, and have degrees in Bible and all those other things, but it all starts with a love of the scriptures. And so maybe you're out there 
um, and you're thinking, man, like I want to read more. I want to understand this more. I would just invite you in this new year. Today's the day. You could start a Bible in a year plan. You could start reading and you'd read through the Old Testament and you'd see all these things. And I promise you, as you do that, uh, God's going to enlighten you to some of these things in the New Testament that you're going to see. You're going to read things at the beginning of the year, back in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you're going to come to something like Hebrews towards the end of the year. And you're like, wow, I got, I understand that. I see that a little bit more now. Um, yeah. So you get to see that there and just these powerful images, these things that God has been doing, because in the scriptures, we don't just start in the New Testament. Oh yeah, Jesus was born and he died for our sins and he rose again. That's what we got. It all is a part of this huge story This uh, that God has been telling from the beginning of creation. Um, and even before that, in eternity past, that God's been weaving together the stories, this beautiful thing. And if I can make a suggestion yeah. really quick, um, one of the things that changed for me was the way in which I read the Old Testament. Yeah. So I, I grew up in Christian circles saying, hey, you should read until you feel like, you know, the Lord's speaking a certain thing to you. And it, it gets really hard in Leviticus, I tell you. Yes. <laughs> um, and so some of the, one of the things I learned was to, to read for stories. Mm. Uh, read until you feel like that story has concluded and I need to wrestle with that. And it's been transformative because now I'm, I'm, I'm reading not just, it might be one chapter where the story is like one chapter, yeah. but so, a lot of the times it's several chapters and sometimes it invites you to like wrestle with things because what you read in chapter one might pay off in chapter nine, yeah. which is Leviticus one through nine, which is the sacrificial system. Yeah. So it's, it's a different way, but yeah, um, yeah for what it's worth. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was just thinking, since you're sitting on the other side of the the desk this time, uh, I get to be the skeptic and oh, take no. your role. So, uh, <laughs> so the, the, the uh, thought was, you know, we know that salvation is by grace through faith alone. Right. It's the our faith in the work of Christ Jesus on the cross and through the resurrection. So, talk to us more about the relationship between our call into community. You know, we have these commands and these things that we're supposed mm-hmm. to be doing, like let's go to church, yep. and this like not. We're not saved by going to church, I'm assuming. Maybe our listeners out there are wondering, like, so what does it take to be a Christian? So what is that relationship, that call into community, that call to do really do anything, um, and this core tenet of our of our faith, that we're faith, grace alone through faith? Yeah, it's one of the things that um, stands out to me about this Hebrews 10 passage where it's talking about, like, let us draw near to God because we've been cleansed. You know, that is such, like... Um, sanctific or justification language right. that I've been forgiven because of the sacrifice. Let us hold unswervingly. That's such sanctification language where I'm holding right. on to to this faith. Um, and those are two things that I've heard. And so, so why add the third? Right. You know why why add the third to these two theological what I call juggernauts like that have driven the Protestant movement. And um, I want to say yes and no. Right. to this answer, because um, I would say, first off, say yes, salvation is found by grace through faith alone, and, and that is one of the core tenets of our faith, that there is nothing we can do, um, there is no work that we could ever accomplish that would earn our salvation, and, and so that is something we want to hold on to, mm-hmm. yes, 100%, and yet, I would also say closely tied, maybe not on the level of salvation, but closely knit to the idea of salvation is this idea of community. And it starts from the beginning. 
you know, Adam and Eve were, were meant to multiply, as we said earlier in this podcast. And when sin entered, he ruined multiplication. He ruined a lot of the communal aspects of it. And so what you see is God's desire to reestablish a community. The thing is, that community can't be reestablished with sin in people's hearts. And so you're going to see effort over effort over effort throughout the Old Testament trying to reestablish this, and yet people being thrown out, abused, leadership going off the rails. And so sin is that first thing that needs to be dealt with. The serpent needs to be crushed first and foremost in order for any of this to work. And so that's how these two things are online. You are saved from your sin. Yes, in the negative, there is a, a taking away of sin. But I do think the story stops short when we, when we just focus on that. Because not only are we saved from sin, we are saved for something. We are brought into a new story. We are brought into something bigger. And that's where this kingdom community comes in. That's the thing we've been saved for. And you see, that's why the author of Hebrews lines up this, this three things that are, that are happening. And so it's not necessarily in terms of your salvation from sin, because I would point to like the thief on the cross. Yeah. He didn't have chance right. to enter into community. He was saved. Yep. But I think he would have lived such a full life. Like yes. Jesus has come to give life and life abundantly. And this was, I believe, the full message of the gospel, that you are saved from your sin. I'm going to die as a sacrifice. I'm going to rise again, and I'm going to rule so that you can enter into this kingdom community now and forevermore. And I just look at, like, you know, just past efforts at trying to develop this utopia community that our society has, and yet Jesus has come to pay the price for our sin so that he could lead us into something like that in eternity. I don't know what that's going to look like. Right. I think it's going to be amazing. But um, yeah, they, they just go hand in hand. They go yeah. so much more hand in hand than I think we even realize. And my encouragement, if you're still like doubting this very question, uh, don't skip Romans 12 to 16, right? Paul's letters routinely start with the gospel message, the foundations of the gospels. You know, Ephesians 1 to 3, foundations of the gospel. And then the rest of the book is talking right. about how to live in kingdom community, right? Yeah. And so oftentimes you'll hear preaching out of the first half of Paul's epistles, and it's like, man, it's all leading to something. Right. It's all leading to this. And it's like, maybe that's his other half of like recommendations of what you should do. No, I think he sees it for what it is. Yeah. This is what you've been saved from, and this is what we've been saved for. And so yeah. to me, it's just like in this individualistic Western culture, it just elevates the importance of community now because yeah. this is where it's all headed. In Revelation, we talked about the temple. The, the It's a city. It's not like my individual paradise. Yeah, We're together. And it's, it's, it's the team. It's the team of Jesus, yeah. you know? That's as best as I can put it. Well, I love, like, it brings us back to kind of the beginning and even the kind of the series we're doing, like, let's go. Let's go. Let's go do something. It's the invitation, the challenge to something better, something greater, something more. And that's, I think what we're longing for. We're longing for more and better. And that's what we have right here is just, we are, we're saved by a simple act of faith in who Jesus is, in his work, Mm -hmm. in his, in his death and his resurrection. But then we're saved for something like into something. I think about Ephesians where it's, you know, we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, but 
now we have good works that God prepared beforehand for yeah, us to do. Like totally. there's all this stuff that happens, or even in the city, maybe some of you in this kind of city imagery of the kingdom, there's this new Jerusalem, this heaven. I think some of us, like we, I think all of us value, we think about the relationships that give us life. And those we're all we're in on those. We love those. We we want to invest in those. And we think about a lot of relationships that don't give us life, mm-hmm. um, and things like that. And so that's maybe why we shy away from attending church or getting into a life group or something like that. But just imagine, uh, if you will, like in that in that heavenly realm when we are in this new Jerusalem, living with Christ. You're not going to have any relationships like that. They're all going to be the good ones, right. and they're going to be better than the ones, you, even the best ones you have today. And so I think again, it's like when you think about that. It's an invitation to experience that. Yeah, I think it illuminates a couple of things too. Because yeah. like Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant Reformation, yeah. was notorious because he hated the book of James. Yes. Right. And the reason why is because he was a by grace alone, through faith alone type of guy. Like yeah. he wanted to yeah. emphasize that. Yep. And James is like, hey, your faith is dead without works. Right. You know? And what I want to say is like, they both got it. Yeah. You know, Paul, if you look at Paul's writing, yeah, he's going to emphasize that for the first yes. eight chapters of Romans, but he also emphasizes the way we ought to live Absolutely. in the latter half. Yeah. You know, I think James is just picking up on on this similar idea that there's something about the interconnection between yes. being saved from your sin negatively for positively this kingdom community. I mean, yeah. even Jesus calls it the gospel of the kingdom. Right. And that's like one of the, the key tells is like, he, he's always talking about kingdom living. This is what the yep. kingdom's going to look like. Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. And um, yeah, I, I, I had a second thing, but I forgot. Yeah. I just got too excited. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we love it. Well, we're going to, as we kind of get to, towards the close here, like you've talked a lot about um, the temple imagery right. and it's this key to unlock this critic, like this understanding. And that's where we're just blessed to hear from you, AJ, it's just this work that you can put into it, that you have this, uh, have these knowledge that you get to share with us. So help us understand a little bit more about that temple imagery, how it helps us unlock this understanding, the nature of Christian community. Yeah. The temple is really tricky because there's, I feel like it's working on multiple levels. Yeah. And so how to clarify it for right. one sermon. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's why I love the Going yes. Deeper podcast. <laughs> but, um, you know, so far, we've been talking about high priest. We've been talking about sacrifice. Yeah. And all of that happens within the context of the temple. Yeah. And I think that's what the author of Hebrews is seeing at this point. Yeah. Is not only does Jesus pave a way to the, pave any way, he paves a way to the most holy place. Right. Not only does the high priest exist, he's the high priest over specifically the house of God. Yeah. And so there's something about temple imagery that's going on. And, you know, starting to sound like a broken record, but let's go back to all the way to the beginning Yeah, where, you know, that is arguably the first temple is creation. Yeah. And some of the proof we see of that is this seven day rhythm, yep. first of all, where that is the same rhythm where the temple or the tabernacle and the temple are inaugurated. This yeah. seven day um, motif gives you curiosity about whether this is a temple, this creation, the heavens and the earth are where God is going to dwell and rule his people. Mm. And then you see language uh, for the first humans. Their task was to work and keep the garden. They're called image bearers. And in any temple, uh, any king would set up statues of himself. And that's essentially what we are. We are images of God Mm. working in his temple to extend his glory 
throughout all of creation as we work and keep the garden. I emphasize that language because that is exact, exactly the language that's being used for uh, priests in the temple to work and keep that space. And so when it gets tricky is when sin enters the world uh, because that's when we're exiled and we've decided not to submit to God's rule, but to the rule of another, either the, the serpent, um, mainly through the self. Yeah. Um, and instead of spreading his glory as image bearers, we spread wickedness and, and we work and keep in a way that, that is damaging to others. Mm. And you already see the community starts to unravel in the flood generation and the generation of Babylon. And so then throughout the rest of the, the Bible, it's God reestablishing his temple, his, his space of dwelling. And we see that in order to do that, sin has to be dealt with. Yeah. Uh, that is the motif of Leviticus, that sin somehow has to be dealt with through all the, the different rituals, through all of that, sin has to be dealt with. But don't miss, don't miss that that was only one aspect of temple rituals. Right. The sin, uh, the cleansing of sin. But beyond that, you see even Jesus coming to the temple in festivals, during yep. festivals. There's mm-hmm. a community aspect. Uh, I can imagine you're not the only one taking your animal during that temple yep. space to, to offer sacrifice. I'm sure there is a large gathering of yes. people to the temple. Um, I'm thinking of all the different ways that um, the sacrifices eventually led to a celebration of some sort. So I'm thinking of the peace offering specifically, where they were told to give uh, a large amount of offerings, and then they would use that to feast with one another as a community. And so don't miss the fact that, yes, sin was one part of it, just like the death of the animal was one part of it, but there's life on the other side. There's something that we're being saved from in order to be saved too. And so... I think what we see in the Old Testament, people forgot this. They yeah. forgot God's rule. They didn't listen to his commandments. Uh, they forgot that this was a community event and it became more of a priesthood event. One mm-hmm. of the, the commentaries on Hebrews 10 was like, why are they not meeting together? Right. And essentially, uh, one, one of uh, the early Christian documents, the Shepherd of Hermas, mm-hmm. said that it was general busyness. Yeah. That's it. They just forgot that this thing was meant to be done together. They forgot that, yes, they're saved from their sin, but they forgot that it was in order to be brought into community. And so this is where the gospel message comes in, where in a weird way, Jesus claims to be the temple. I'm still wrestling with that of like, what does it mean when he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days? What does it mean that Jesus is the temple? And I think keeping it plain and simple, it's just the place where God dwelt. Right. God dwelt in the human flesh in Jesus and and that is why he could claim to be the temple. And yet we see in this way that Jesus's sacrifice deals with the one thing that ne- needed to be dealt with, sin. It dealt with sin. It it took that away. It took that obstacle away so that this original vision where God is dwelling with his people and where we become priests, we uh, are f- restored as image bearers of God, we, we extend God's glory, we are filled with the Spirit. We become the place where God resides and we become the place where, where Jesus lives with us. And yet, Ryan, I look at you, and I'm not the only one right? that has the Holy Spirit yes. in me. 
And so it's like a realization that, yes, Jesus died for my sin. The spirit lives inside of me. But like that is equally true yes. for all believers yes. everywhere. Yes. And so often we forget the community aspect of it. And um, I think, man, I think this is Paul's message with the dividing wall in Ephesians yeah. being built together into a spiritual house. I think this is, again, Paul's confrontation with the Corinthians where it's like, don't you know that you guys are the temple of the spirit? Like you have God's spirit in you. And like, I think this is also Peter's where saying you guys are a royal priesthood, um, this restoration of the community. And while it's not perfect, it's a realization like, whoa, this yeah. might be a lot bigger than we think. I mean, I'll just invite everyone when next time you're at church next Sunday, when you're there, just look around, just look around. Yeah. I mean, like, and just think <laughs> about all those people in that room. They're all, most, uh, most of them are believers. Most of them follow the Lord Jesus Christ with their entire lives. And most of them, you're going to be spending an eternity with them in joyous community and all these different things. I remember the other year I was doing this, uh, about a year ago, I was doing this little prayer walk thing with a bunch of other uh, believers. And we were just off doing our own little take a time with God. And I was just struck with this moment of, man, like God is looking around at, you know, a couple dozen people praying and I just thought, God is just as much with them as he is with me. Right. It's just, that's yeah. crazy. And we're all talking to the same person. So that's what we get to be a part of. And that's the, that's right. the invitation. That's what right. we're, when we go to church, when we go to church, we're gathering with God's people. And it's just, hey, it's not church with y'all out there. It's not church without you. It's not church without us being together. Yeah. Uh, so, AJ, as we're closing up here, you said you left some year-end content on the cutting room floor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, why why did you take this uh take us on this route through close out 2023? Yeah. Man, if you guys have been walking with us through 2023, it's been an awesome year. Yeah. We've seen the Lord move in so many ways yes. and you know, one of the things I was preparing at the beginning of this um that made it to the cutting room floor was I, I kind of wanted to to wrap us up to be the good bookend that I've been called yes. to be, I guess. <laughs> um in just a way that kind of reminds everybody where we've been. And the essentially what made it to the cutting room floor is how the series that we've done in 2023 yeah. line up with the arguments of Hebrews one to nine. And so let me repeat them again. And I'm basing this off of Hebrews one, one to four. It's those seven things that um, the author of Hebrews wants to bring out. And the first one again is Jesus is better. Jesus is the one that God is speaking through. And it reminds me of the very beginning, the sacred selfie series. We've been wrestling with this idea of identity and the image of God. And one of the things we learned is that Jesus, according to Colossians 3, is that image that we've been looking for. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So that's where we've been. We've seen mm -hmm. Jesus as the elevated one, the better one. And so the second thing we see is uh, this heir of all things and the agent of creation. And we saw that Jesus is able to um, represent us because he understands us, he knows us. And that reminds me of the second part of that sacred selfie series where uh, we've been called to, to die to ourselves yeah. and to find our identity in Christ. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking about, yeah, he is the one who is able to represent us. He knows us. 
And yet we, we struggle. We, we have a lot of struggles with this concept of old self and the new self, which is where that series went. And um, I was just thinking of how, you know, we, one, our most popular podcast this year was on how to wrestle with racial tensions yeah. and how to handle gender conversations. Yeah. Like this world is difficult and yeah. it, it becomes really hard. And yet we have this high priest who understands all these things. Mm. Uh, we have this community. And so we went to this unlikely hero series where we looked at the life of Paul. We saw that he was dealing with the rejection of others. He was wrestling with um, splitting off from his own friends and coworkers. Uh, we even talked a little bit about money, all yeah. these different things that we're being called to um, because we have this great high priest advocating for us and bringing us into this new life. And so when we get to the crux of it, we, we got to our summer series, which was awesome. I think all of us, out yes. of all the series in 2023, we remembered summer playlists. Yes. Because it was so creative, we got to hear people's song tastes, yeah. but also because of the unifying message that it brought. And I think so often we, we think that all of these actions that we're being called to yeah. are legalistic, right. are like, I'm obligated to do these things. And the message of the summer playlist, one that wrapped us all up was, hey, we aren't perfect. We need to abide in Christ. We need to rely on him. Uh, I think the, the key quote that I pulled away, presence and progress, not perfection. Right. And um, mm -hmm. through that, we, we get blessings, which I yeah. know you preached on. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we get God's love yeah. through all this. And, and it's a helpful reminder. And then we, we start to live into this new identity where you're invited to have a relationship with God and, and wrestle with your needs. You're invited to extend um, your faith outward. You know, the other sermon that stands out to me in 2023 was the uh, neighboring sermon from yeah. Dave Runyon, mm -hmm. transformative, just so simple, yet uh, a, a huge wake-up call to the idea yeah. that like, hey, we do have a message that's that's good news. Yeah. And then this Explore God series where um, we got to wrestle with some of the some of the doubts we had. And I was thinking of just you know, what it means to, to let us hold unswervingly to the hope we have. Yeah. And hopefully that was a good series for any of you guys struggling with questions out there to be able to hold unswervingly, even in a culture that's rising with questions. Yeah. And then finally, we end up with, with this sacred scandal Christmas series where we went through five different women in Jesus's genealogy. And I think we end up notice that the series, the 2023 began with sacred selfie. Yeah. 2023 closed with sacred scandal. And we end up with another decision. Are we going to lean into some of the things that our world tells us? Yeah. Or are we going to live into the way um, that we've been called into? Essentially adopted into the family of God, just like all these women were grafted into this um, lineage. And so, man, when I was thinking through the book of Hebrews, I was thinking of like, this is exactly sort of the trajectory that we've gone through in 2023. Yeah. And now it's a perfect time to challenge people. Let's go. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like we we know this. We know these things that that have been argued. And now it's time to turn the corner and see. Okay, we have this new identity. We we've wrestled with it. Mm -hmm. It's time to to start living into this kingdom um, that Jesus has come to die die for. Yeah. And yeah. Amen. I was just thinking about it too. Like we've just been talking about how 
what God has done and the blessings that he's brought to our church. And even through this this time that we've had, you've just reflected on an entire year of, of preaching and an entire year of growth as a church. And I'm just so grateful for you all, our listeners, and even those who aren't who aren't our listeners yet and that, are, <laughs> that attend our church, but God's been doing an incredible thing in the in your lives, and He's been. I know He's been doing something huge in my life too, and we're part of this thing together. And I know AJ, we got to talk about our new app this week and things like that. And it's it's really again like it's not about an app for us. Uh, as AJ, you talked about it on Sunday, it's about helping you, the people of our church and our community grow and take next steps on this journey, that invitation to kind of let's go and be invited into something better and to more. So if you're looking to take a next step, that's a great place to start. Yeah. You can download it on the App Store, but we're also here to be a resource to you. So if you ever get stuck, if, you never, if you're never, if not not sure what's next, if you have you know, if you're going through something that you need more help on, we are here uh, to help support you. So you can always reach out to any of us. All our email addresses are just our first names at threecrosses.church. So AJ at threecrosses.church, Ryan at threecrosses.church. Come find us on a Sunday or come up to the office, give us a ring. We'd love to help you take those next steps. And we're just excited uh, to go on this journey together, you know, to really live into not just the, you know, let's go, not, not, you go or I go, let us go. We're going to go yep. together. We're going to go on this mission with the Lord, and we're going to see all the great things that he does as he challenges us, as he invites us into something better, to being a part of his kingdom and being a part of the work that he's doing all over the East Bay and all over the world. So we're so grateful that you're here. This uh, Join us today. Pray that you have a great 2024, that God will bless you, that he will keep you, that he'll continue to grow uh, and faith in you and to see the fruitfulness of your life as he transforms your life and brings transformation to others. So AJ, thanks for joining us today and thanks for being with us. Yeah, 2024 is going to be amazing. It's going to be incredible. Let's go. Let's go. See you next week.